1: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. ESD, in both Conktown's Discord and Startup Clubhouse and Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings. there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come on onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're exercising in the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office on Monday we talk marketing. On Tuesday, we do a live read of crucial conversations. On Wednesday, it's all about entrepreneurship. On Thursday, it's a live read of Forbes Sessions, an extraordinary executive, and then on Friday, it's Best of the Week, Open Mic. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe-a-bit.ly slash Collective Cafe to go and review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or come and attend live one day. Warning, it is addictive. And remember, it is a safe, welcoming space, and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe.
2: Well, that's uh, <clears throat> AI President Obama uh, doing a little bit of an intro for us. Didn't sound so good there. Although, I must say, I've been playing around with uh, with Speechify, and some of the results are... Uh, quite breathtaking i've got to be honest with you so <laughs> that one that one was a bit of a bust but i actually did um uh, i've got one with mr beast doing the morning the introduction which sounds actually amazing um let me see if i can even if i can do it for you and not crash my computer uh in in the interim i'm going to try it for you um it's just a lot of fun and and there are so many use cases i literally could feed my entire my entire book uh, my new book, into Speechify and get the whole thing read, which is insane. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Um, so let's see. Welcome. To- no, that's, that's still Obama. Let's try this one. Here we go. I'm going to do Mr. Beast for you. That's a much better one. You just got to play around sometimes with um with speed and also just uh, sometimes you got to do like phonetically spell. Like, for example, some of the um, AIs will will pronounce my name Jaffe correctly, and some will say jo- Joffy or Joff or, and so you got to just phonetically spell it as in you know J A F J A F F E E E or something like that. Um, so I'm going to play you Mr. Beast's intro, which is which is amazing. Uh, I'm very uh, you know humbled by the fact Mr. Beast would introduce me. Yeah, here it is.
0: Think Welcome this, to the Collective Cat.
2: Oh man. So that's that seems like hold on a second. Well, you know, I I'll, I'll find it for you. Don't worry about it. Um uh you know, what? yeah, I'll, I'll find I'll do it tomorrow for you. It's um so anyway, hello uh, on a morph and uh, best NFT wins in in Town's Discord server Tiffany Jordan uh, uh Fatimza, Heather, uh Gaurav in Clubhouse. Welcome to the beginning of um uh, Wednesday's morning of the Collective Cafe, um, I decided today that um, we're going to continue doing the live read of this incredible book called Crucial Conversations. Um, it is a book that is essentially a must read um, for any coach, any business coach, quite frankly, any small business operator, quite frankly, anyone, even if you think about your relationships with your with your spouse, um, you know, um, with your boss, etc. This is, um, you know, this is this is mission-critical stuff. And so um, what I am going to do is, uh, for those of you that haven't heard, you know, this is the third reading, live reading and discussion. Normally we do these on Tuesday, but I had a coaching session yesterday. And so <clears throat> what I did do is I got... And so this is like really amazing if you think about the power of AI to actually help us now in terms of augmenting our our day to day and giving us support when we might not have been able to have even afford the support as you know creators, as freelancers, you know as as individuals. So what you have in this case is I do the sessions, here, the live reads. I then you know record the actual episode. I feed that into otter.ai. otter.ai spits out a transcript. But now you can actually ask otter.ai to actually summarize the actual conversation or provide the highlights. And so what I'm about to do is through Speechify now is actually um, to give you and allow you to catch up to where we are in crucial conversations. These are highlights from reading one and reading two. It's, it's only a 40, it's, uh, according to this, it's 47 seconds uh, at 1.1 speed, uh, 52 seconds. Let's go 1.1 and it's going to be read by Gwyneth Paltrow. So Gwyneth Paltrow is going to summarize exactly what we've, you know, bring you up to speed.
1: Highlights from reading one. Crucial conversations are daily conversations that can significantly impact relationships, results, and quality of life when opinions differ stakes are high and emotions run strong. Handling crucial conversations effectively is important to avoid stress, strain, and damage in personal and professional relationships. Most people avoid crucial conversations due to fear or handle them poorly, making matters worse. There is a lag time between identifying problems and resolving them, and shorter lag times indicate healthier relationships. It's important to address crucial conversations to prevent self-defeating behaviors, resentment, and passive aggressiveness from developing. Research shows mastering crucial conversation skills can improve influence, health, relationships, and organizational performance. Highlights from reading. The importance of mastering crucial conversations through open dialogue and a shared pool of meaning. Avoiding the Fool's Choice Dilemma and prioritizing respect in high stakes conversations developing tools to discuss sensitive issues while staying honest and respectful addressing the right issue using techniques like CPR content pattern relationship the challenges of addressing racial insensitivity and lack of respect in the workplace
2: so that's pretty cool you know the fact that that we i can we can do all of that with a little bit of uh, augmentation, automation, however you want to call it. Um, but yeah, just to summarize that the essence of a crucial conversation is, and you know, one of the things we do at EOS, I've put my link above in clubhouse. That's my mini site. Um, as a coach helping companies implement EOS is one of the things that we tell and we teach leadership teams is you have to hear something seven times to actually hear it for the first time. So you've got to hear something seven times to understand it. Um, when it comes to, for example, being a boss or a supervisor or a manager, the implication is quite simple. If you have told an employee or a, you know, a subordinate uh, or a reporter, however you want to call it, if you've told them something three times and they still aren't getting it, instead of being frustrated with them, I've told you three times, you actually should be telling yourself I need to tell them another four times for them to actually hear it for the first time. That's how it works. So repetition is key. So in a way, I'm repeating it not just for you, but for myself too. You know, the fact that it's got to sink in, that crucial conversations are when opinions differ, um, stakes are high and emotions are run, kind of run long or run large. Um, The concept of the lag, the longer the time elapses, the worse everything is going to escalate this concept of the pool of shared meaning, that everybody brings their own pool, their own their own um, perspective or point of view, but when everyone contributes that into a pool of shared meaning, you have your pool of meaning, but when you bring your pool of meaning and you join it with others, you create a pool of shared meaning that allows everybody to see each other's perspective. The concept of also, you know, um, before we get to um, to CPR, and just hello to Tim and Slick, some of our regulars as well, you know, the fool's choice, the fool's choice says, if I say nothing, then I'm going to build up all this resentment, right? But if I say something, I could ruin the friendship, you know, so it almost feels like I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. If I say something, it's going to, you know, there's going to be blowback. But if I say nothing, I'm going to just build up all this resentment and you know, the situation's not going to get sorted out. And then the last point about CPR, content pattern and relationship, is being able to correctly identify if this is something that's a one-off, if this is some form of pattern developing, or if this actually is something a lot more uh, happening, much higher uh, at a relationship level. And so the example that we actually used in the live read um, was this con- was this idea of, um, you know, a boss basically intentionally referring to uh, an African- American woman's name incorrectly the, and and doing it repeatedly um, and when she basically eventually confronted him and not in a confrontational way he was like well your name you know you know your names are your you know like your people's names are very difficult why don't you just use a simple English name for me that clearly wasn't just a one-off and it clearly wasn't a pattern. This was happening at a relational level and, quite frankly, was bordering on just blatant racism. So I'm very uh, curious as to how the book is going to resolve that story. I hope the book will come back and resolve that story. So, you know, we're going to continue reading the book and hopefully you feel that you were brought up to speed. One of the things that I should mention to you, um, for those of you that are listening and certainly if you are subscribed to the podcast which is bit.ly forward slash collectivecafe2go, you will already have access to these previous um, live reads. But for those of you that are here today for the first time, if you want to access them, uh, certainly you're going to want to subscribe um, to the podcast, but I can actually tell you um, which episodes you're looking for. Reading one, the episode uh, was uh, 164 and it's called The Untouchables. And reading two is episode 168, and it's called The Pool of Shared Meaning. So you can actually go and listen to the live read and uh, and come up to speed um, as quickly as you like. So here you are in read number three, and uh, next week we'll get back to hopefully read number four. All right. So we're going to talk about um, uh, a section and... It's called, Do You Need to Talk About Process? CPR is a powerful entry point as we begin to unravel complex interactions and consider the issues that are keeping us stuck. But not every issue fits neatly into content, pattern, and relationship. Occasionally, you'll need to extend your conversation to cover the issue of the process of how we are discussing issues. For example, years ago, we were coaching a senior leader, Kayla, on her management style. She had a team of a dozen or so people, including an administrative assistant, April. April was fairly new to the team, and Kayla was eager to develop a good working relationship with her. Being new, April had some things to learn, and Kayla was quick, direct, and respectful in her feedback. Despite Kayla's skill in delivering feedback and coaching, April almost inevitably became defensive. Kayla tried everything we taught her about saying things in a way that would make it safe for April to hear her, skills you'll learn in later chapters. It just wasn't working. After observing a few interactions, we suggested to Kayla that this was a process problem. Something about the process, I'm saying process and process, sometimes I don't know which word to use, something about the process of how she was delivering feedback and how April was hearing it was creating the issue that was keeping them stuck. Kayla decided to make that the topic of her conversation, She set up a time to talk with April about how they were working together and how she, Kayla, could best provide feedback to April. She explained her intent. She wanted them to be able to work well together and she wanted to see April succeed. That's why she gave feedback. Kayla shared, using the skills in this book, that she had noticed April's defensiveness and wanted to talk about a better process for delivering feedback. The conversation went well. The two were able to come to some concrete agreements about how Kayla could deliver feedback to April in a way that April could and would hear it and April committed to expressing her emotions in ways that worked better for Kayla. Taking time to address the process of how we are communicating is especially important when there are differences in our communication styles or when our mode of communication changes from what we're used to. Process issues often come into play across cultures as well. For example, we work with colleagues across Europe and Asia teaching crucial conversation skills. While the principles are the same, there are clear and obvious variations in the way people communicate in different cultures. One of our Dutch colleagues shared this experience of working with one of our Asian colleagues. I wanted to have a good and honest conversation about some problems we were having working together. When I invited him to share his thoughts about the situation, he hardly said a word. The conversation was a disaster. Afterwards, I sent him an email explaining that I thought the conversation was unsuccessful and that I really wanted to find a solution that we both felt good about. Later, we had a new conversation, but this time about process rather than specific problems. I asked what I could have done differently. He shared with me that in his culture, he's not used to talking explicitly about what went wrong. My direct reference to our problems felt disrespectful. He said that for him, it was customary to begin by talking about how we're doing family, and other such topics. From a Dutch perspective, I was doing just fine. Having a process conversation helped me learn how to make my intentions clearer to my colleague. Process conversations are also especially important in relationships that are largely or exclusively virtual. When contact when contact is infrequent, it's essential to talk explicitly about how you will communicate. For example, how will you make sure that everyone has a turn to speak? How will you make space for people to pause and think? What tools will you use? What norms should we establish? How will you accommodate different time zones and work patterns? To answer these questions, start by asking yourself, when do virtual conversations work well for me and when do they not? Then consider the process. Remember, if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. And virtual relationships leave much more room for acting it out. So I really love that point. I'm just going to highlight that. Hold on, in my uh, in my Kindle. There we go. Highlight. Remember, if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. Um, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Immediately, it makes me think about just even my um my conversations with uh, my 16 year old. And you know, lately we've been struggling really to like establish any rapport. Um, it's been difficult. And, you know, at one point, I mean, he he tells me that, that kind of I go on and on and I talk too long and the and the conversations go on too long and I don't let him speak and, you know, probably all very valid points. I mean, these are some of my weaknesses. I know that. Um, but he actually said, like, you know, texting is, is often better. And I don't know if he actually said that to me or if I actually observed that he's very articulate and very lucid and very you know, um, pragmatic when he texts. So I asked him, I said, is it better to text? Should we rather just text? And he said, yeah. And so for a period of time, we actually tried texting. And, um, you know, it was, it was better. Now, I still made a few mistakes. I sent him what was like essentially a 600-word, you know, diatribe. Uh, that was way too long. The other thing that I found out, for example, with my son is... You got to talk to him when he wants to when he wants to talk, and I know that sounds like you know you can be very uh, parochial about it and say, um, "Well, I'm the you know I'm the adult, I'm the father, I'm the parent, you know I'll talk when I want to talk." But you got to you know when you catch him in the right mind frame, uh, in the right mindset, um, it's it's you know like the floodgates open, and he'll be very very articulate and he'll be very engaged and engaging. But when you kind of force it, and and for him the challenge is formalizing. I'd like to, you know, set up a meeting. I'd like to sit down. I'd like to have a conversation at this time. That's how I'm used to do it. Probably how many of you are used to do it. Used to doing it. But it doesn't work for him. And the problem is, is that if it doesn't work for both sides, you're not going to have um, an intelligent conversation, and you're certainly not going to be able to have a crucial conversation either. Choose. The next step in finding the right topic to discuss is to choose. Choosing is a matter of filtering all the issues you've teased apart through a single question. What do I really want? You'll see even more of the power of this question in the next chapter. Ponder what your highest priority is, then choose the issue that stands between you and that objective. For example, if, you really wa- if what you really want is to solve a customer problem, you may choose to deal with a content issue. How do we get this to Malaysia in two days? Rather than the relationship, I don't trust that you will handle this right. Or pattern, our fulfillment team frequently puts off doing things until they become crises, issues. You'll choose to return to the other conversations later. Simplify. Having made your choice, be sure you can state simply what you want to discuss. We're not talking about how you'll start the conversation, we mean narrow the problem down to a succinct statement. This is harder than it sounds. Try stopping people who are great during crucial conversations right before they address a concern. We've done this. Ask them, "What's the issue you want to address?" You'll find that they take far fewer words to say to say it than the rest of us. The more words it takes you to describe the topics, the topic, the less prepared you are to talk. That's an interesting statement, right? The more words it takes you to describe the topic, the less prepared you are to talk. For example, when we asked one skilled person what his message was in a forthcoming performance review, he said, I've concluded he is not good at managing people or or projects. Boom. Crystal clear. Simple. He's ready. Why is this clarity so rare? Often, when we mortals take the step, we feel a sense of dread. As we start to admit the real problem to ourselves, we panic about how we, could pro- how we could probably say it. It's less scary when we leave the problem vague. When you can slosh around an issue in a giant bowl of words, it's easy to water it down. So I'm just making a note of this. Good morning, Influencer X. got to always think of the name for this, to- for this episode. So, Slosh Around... Uh, in a giant bowl of words. I think giant bowl of words or sloshing in a giant, I mean, that's going to be great for putting together a little AI uh, visual. What is it? What is the visualization of sloshing around in a giant bowl of words? But when you slosh around in an, an issue in a giant bowl of words, it's easy to water it down. But when you simply state the essence of what you need to address, you feel a jolting sense of accountability to do so. You you stare the size of the issue square in the face. But that shouldn't create panic. It should create resolution. Notice that the panic happens only when you conflate two problems. While part of your brain considers what's the real issue, another part shrieks, how in the world will I say that? Don't do this. If you worry about the how while trying to be honest about the what, you'll be tempted to water down your message. When that happens, I don't think you're capable of managing people or projects. Starts to sound like, how do you think things went on the product launch? We mince words, dance around and sugarcoat our way into the conversation. Creating a simple problem sentence helps you both start with a clear purpose and hold yourself accountable. It gives you a standard by which to measure whether you told your full truth. Don't worry about how you'll say it, just tell yourself the truth about what you want to say. Having done that you can address the next problem. How can I both tell the truth and strengthen the relationship? The next few chapters will help you address that challenge. But put that on the shelf for now. At this point don't worry about getting the what right. Tell yourself the truth. This can be tough but self-honesty is the precondition to honesty with others. Let's say, for example, you and your colleagues are talking about where to place a group of new interns in your company. In the middle of the discussion about one of the interns appear volunteers. There's a lot of Asians in our data analysis team. Let's put him there. You're suddenly seized by two competing feelings, rage and terror. You're offended because you think the comment is either stupid or racist or both. But you're scared because you can't imagine a way of addressing the issue without provoking a fight. You're tempted to simply stay, uh, to stay in the content. Offer other options for the intern. Make an argument about why other areas would be better for him. All the while, the real concern is simmering inside you. What should you do? To begin with, tell yourself the truth. Even if you don't know what to say in the moment, stop and clarify what is truly bothering you. Only then can you decide what the right step is. Having told yourself the truth, you believe his comment is evidence of either subtle or egregious racism, you can then decide if, when, and how to have that conversation. A word of warning. Be alert to when the topic changes. Most of the crucial problems we face require us to address issues at the pattern, process, or relationship level. Very rarely is a content issue keeping us stuck. You can think of it like a dandelion growing in the middle of your well-manicured lawns. The content issue is that bright yellow flower. It is blatant, apparent, and easy to get rid of. Just pluck that dandelion head right off, and suddenly your lawn is once again an unrelenting expanse of greenness. But you know what happens next. The dandelion blooms again and probably multiplies at the same time. Why? Because you didn't address the roots. The pattern process and relationship level issues in our lives are like those roots. Until we identify and address them, we'll face the same content issues again and again. But beware, just because you know you need to have a pattern or relationship level conversation doesn't make it easy. Once you have chosen the level of the conversation, it is up to you to keep it there. More often than not, when you step up to a pattern or relationship level conversation with someone, the other person's tendency will be to seek safety in a content level conversation. For example, you've noticed over the last several months that the creative output of one of your designers seems to be a bit stale. He's hitting all his deadlines and producing the requested deliverables, <coughs> but the quality and innovation just aren't what aren't where you want them to be. It's not a problem of any one specific design. Rather, when taken as a body of work, his, his recent output isn't up to the same standards that it used to be. You decide to step up, to this pattern conversation. Have a look, you say. Here are the last five designs you've produced, and here are the five before that. As I see it, those from the past six months aren't at the same level of creativity as your previous work. Technically, you're right on target, but creatively, they've lost some shine. I'm interested in how you see it. He quickly responds. I know my work on the Johnson project this week wasn't as good as it could have been, It was really confusing to know what the client wanted, and I was balancing a ton of other projects at the same time. Do you see what just happened there? You stepped up to a pattern conversation, the last six months of designs, and he responded by talking about a content issue, the very last design he did. Now, at this point, it can be very easy to get sucked into that conversation. It's as easy as saying, yes, I know there's a lot going on, but the Johnson project was really critical for us as a team, We needed your best work. And just like that, you're holding a different conversation than the one you intended. You'll walk away feeling unresolved. Why? Because you held the wrong conversation. There is no uh, malintent here on the part of the graphic designer. He isn't purposefully trying to steer you off course. He's just fallen into the trap we all fall into. Choosing recent over right or easy over hard. It's up to you to keep the conversation at the level you want You want it by saying, I know there was a lot on this, uh, a lot going on this week with the Johnson Project. I get that. And I'm actually less concerned with the specifics of the Johnson Project than I am with the pattern I'm seeing in your work over the last six months. I'm wondering if there's something bigger going on here that's keeping you from delivering your best work. Generally, you should choose the level at which you want to hold the conversation and then keep it there. However... There is an exception. Place a bookmark. Clarity is crucial, but so is flexibility. Remember, this isn't a monologue. It should be a dialogue. There are other people in this conversation, and they have their own wants and needs. In some crucial conversations, new issues will come up, and you'll need to balance focus on your goals with flexibility to meet their goals. Let's listen in as Tyra talks to her co-worker Katie about some data she needs. Tyra, I was expecting to get the raw data file for Project Ascent yesterday, but I haven't seen it yet. Is the file ready? Katie, the system's down this morning. I'm totally locked out. I swear I don't know how we're supposed to do our jobs around here if they can't keep their systems running, right? Tyra, well, maybe, but was the system down yesterday? Katie, hey, who died and left you in charge? Why are you all over me on this? We're friends. Can't you cut me a little slack? Tyra, we are friends and coworkers. I'm not trying to hound you. I just need this report. Katie, I know, I know. Sorry. I guess I'm, I'm just all uptight because I already had to deal with Mark today and you that guy just gives me the creeps. I can't handle the way his eyes crawl all, all over me. I'm just on edge. Sorry. Well, that was a lot more than Tyra bargained for. She started to address what seemed like a pretty straightforward issue, the missing data file, and she got three issues right back. The system is down, the aren't we friends manipulation, and most concerning, an implication of harassment. Well, What do you do when you start a conversation focused on one issue and new issues emerge? You have a choice to make. You can either stay focused on the original issue or move to a new one. In all cases, you'll want to place a bookmark. When you place a bookmark, you verbally acknowledge where you're going in the conversation and what you intend to come back to. Let's say Tyra wants to move to this new issue, her friend's experience with Mark. She moves to the new issue and bookmarks the original issue by saying, wow, I can tell you're upset. Let's talk about this. We'll come back to the data file later. In some cases, although probably not this one given the seriousness of the emergent issue, You may want to bookmark the new issue and stay focused on the original. Tyra, wow, that's a big deal. And I really want to talk to you about what you're experiencing because it needs to be addressed. At the same time, I have 30 minutes to get this data file over to the ops team. Let's figure out this data file issue and then come back to Mark because that needs to be addressed. When you place a bookmark, you make a conscious choice about what you want to talk about. And you register clearly with the other person that you will return to the bookmarked issue later. Never allow the conversation to shift or the topic to change without acknowledging you've done it. Back to Wendy. Remember Wendy? She was facing a pretty complex conversation with her manager. They started out talking about a project timeline. As the conversation progressed, new issues came into play. How decisions were being made what input was being considered, and the pressure that Sandrine was putting on Wendy with veiled threats. Let's see how Wendy responded. When Sandrine said, Look, I really pushed for you to be the one to lead this project. Do you know what I said about about you? I said you were a team player. Was I mistaken? Wendy made the smart choice in this situation to bookmark the project timeline, the content issue, and move the conversation to the relationship level. Her simple problem sentence was, This is about whether I can trust our process and trust you. She responded to Sandrine saying, I get we're in a tough spot here. I don't want to disappoint our leadership any more than you do. And I want you to know that I'm committed to getting stuff done. At the same time, I want us to set realistic goals. Otherwise, we're setting ourselves up to fail. And maybe even more important, I want us to work together in a way where we're upfront with each other about our needs and concerns. This was the start of a relationship conversation and the start of a better relationship. So, <clears throat> summary. Choose your topic. You can't solve the real problem if you don't choose the right topic. Here's how to make sure you are talking about the right thing. First of all, learn the three signs you're having the wrong conversation. Number one, your emotions escalate. Number two, you walk away skeptical Number three, you're in a deja vu dialogue. Number two, use three skills to identify your topic and prepare to keep focused on it. Number one, unbundle, unpack the various issues at play using CPR. Are they content, pattern, or relationship concerns, or perhaps process? Number two, choose, ask yourself, what do I really want? Use this as a filter to choose which topic is most relevant at the moment. And number three, simplify. Condense your concern into a single sentence so you can maintain focus once the conversation gets underway. Finally, be both focused and flexible. Pay attention to others' unintentional or intentional efforts to change the topic. Don't allow the topic to change without a conscious decision. And if you do decide to shift topics... Bookmark the original one to make it easy to return to after the new topic is handled. I'm just going to pause there for a second. Hello to Styles and in in our Discord in Kongtown's uh, Discord, um, Slick says in Clubhouse parenting is a tough job for sure. Well, you know one of the things that's so interesting is that with EOS, by the way, um, you know we we actually do that. I mean we we say. One of the ways to create a strong leadership team is um, to we we draw in three aspects of a a book on parenting. And it says, um, great parents do three things. Number one is they have a set of rules, not too few, not too many. So that's important. Number two is repeat yourself often. And number three is consistency, as in not, you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? So walk the talk. So those are the three parenting rules, um, or, or, or kind of three tenets, right? Set of rules: not too few, not too many. Repeat yourself often. That's the seven times to hear it for the first time, and then the third is this idea of consistency, which is walk the talk. Um, I I I love this chapter because you know it's not like it's not like a revelation, but at the same time. You know, it's just very, like, I find it to be very pragmatic. And, you know, and it's, and, and if there was like, um, you know, what are they, what's that thing you say is like, you know, stay calm and, and, and mind the gap or, you know, that, that, those things you see in England, stay calm and don't, and don't panic. Right. So it, it is, you got to stay calm. You got to keep your wits about you. You got to recognize that emotion has to be, you know, we're not unemotional, we're not robots, but at the same time, we have to accept the fact that we've got to stay calm, in, especially in crucial conversations where opinions differ, where the stakes are high, and emotions are in play. And so in this particular case, you know, the, for those of you, obviously, that didn't hear the first two episodes, you know, what happened with Wendy and Sandrine is there are so many, you know, they're almost like, like triggers. They're like talk triggers, and there' are triggers that can absolutely you know you know take you down the wrong path and also take you off course so take you off course in terms of you know tangents and you know and you end up kind of on the wrong issue so you've got to be able to stay focused and singular and stay on topic but also be able to stay you know matter of fact and and not be you know pulled in because remember there are lots of You know the passive aggressiveness that takes place, and then there's also aggressiveness, right? Accusations. There's a lot of there there are a lot of things that can go wrong in a crucial conversation, and so being able to stay calm and acknowledge and you know. So I I hope that was value. I mean, certainly that was valuable to me. Uh, Chapter four, and uh, the quote here is from Ambrose Bierce: "Speak when you are angry." and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. (laughs) Love that, right? Speak when you're angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. The chapter is called Start with Heart. (laughs) I know, that is a good one. How to stay focused on what you really want. Now that you know what you want to talk about, it's time to turn to the how of dialogue. How do you encourage the flow of meaning when you're in the thrall of strong emotions, talking about things that matter deeply to you, with those who disagree vehemently. Given that most people's style is based on long-standing habits, it'll probably require a lot of effort. The truth is, people can change. In fact, we've taught these conversation skills to millions around the world and have seen dramatic improvements in results and relationship. But it requires work. You can't simply highlight an inspiring paragraph in a book and walk away changed. Instead, you'll need to start by taking a long, hard look at yourself. That's why Start With Heart is the foundation of dialogue. Change begins with your heart. Our bias is the opposite. Our bodies are designed to gather data about others, not ourselves. To paraphrase Shakespeare, the eye sees everything but itself. We can hear how others are overstating their points. We can see how they're clenching their fists and spraying spittle while they harangue us. What we fail to notice is our own eye roll, head shake and sneer. One of the most important lessons we've learned from those who do their best during crucial moments is that it all begins with me. The first thing that degenerates during a crucial conversation is not your behavior, it's your motive. And we can rarely see it happening. The first step step to dialogue is to get your heart right. Work on me first, us second. Let's start with a true story. Two young sisters, Aislinn and Kara, and their father scurry into their hotel room after spending a hot afternoon at Disneyland. Given the repressive heat, the girls have consumed enough soda to irrigate a small farm. As the two bursting kids enter their room, they have but one thought, to head for the head. Since the bathroom is a one-holer, it isn't long until a fight breaks out. The desperate children start arguing, pushing, and name-calling as they dance around the tiny bathroom. Eventually, Aislinn calls out to her father for help. Dad, I got here first. I know, but I need to go worse, says Kara. How do you know you're not in my body? I didn't even go before we left this morning. You're so selfish. Dad, in a naive attempt to teach them to solve their own problems, proposes a plan. Girls, I'm not going to solve this for you. You can stay in the bathroom and figure out who goes first and who goes second. There's only one rule, no hitting. As the two antsy kids begin their crucial conversation, Dad checks his watch. He wonders how long it'll take. As the minutes slowly tick away, he has nothing more than an occasional outburst of sarcasm. Finally, after 25 long minutes, the toilet flushes. Kara comes out. A minute later, another flush and out walks Aislinn. With both girls in the room, Dad asks, Did you know how many times both of you could have gone to the bathroom in the time it took you to work that out? The idea had not occurred to the little scamps. Dad then probes further. Why did it take so long for the two of you to use the bathroom? Because she's always so selfish. Listen to her. She's calling me names when she could have just waited. She always has to get her way. Both girls claimed what they, wanted, what they wanted most was to go to the bathroom. Then they behaved in ways that ensured the bathroom was little more than a distant dream. Based on the 25-minute bathroom dance, what was their real motive? To experience the blessed relief of using the toilet? No. Sometimes the best way to discern motive is to examine behavior. By looking at how the sisters were acting, we can see what they really wanted was to be first, to be right, and perhaps even to make the other sister miserable. The first problem we face in our crucial conversations is not that our behavior degenerates. It's that our motives do. A shift that we are often completely unaware of. Instead, we cling to our stated motive and ignore what our behavior reveals about our true motive. The first step in achieving the results we really want is to stop believing that others are the source of all that ails us. Our sister is not the problem, our motives are. It's our dogmatic conviction that if we could just fix those losers, all would go better. That keeps us from taking action that could lead to dialogue and progress. It's no surprise that those who are best at dialogue tend to turn this logic around. They believe the best way to work on us is to start with me. People who are best at dialogue understand the simple fact and turn it into the principle, work on me first, us second. They realize not only that they are likely to benefit by improving their own approach, but also that the only ones they can, they can work on anyway are themselves. As much as others may need to change, or we may want them to change, the only person we can continually inspire, prod, and shape with any degree of success is the person in the mirror. Start with heart. Okay, let's assume we need to work on our own personal dialogue skills. Instead of buying this book and handing it to a loved one or co worker and saying, you'll love this, especially the parts that I've underlined for you, we'll try to figure out how we ourselves can benefit. But where do we start? Skilled people start with heart. That is, they begin high risk discussions with the right motives and they stay focused on those motives no matter what happens. They maintain this focus in two ways. First, They're steely-eyed smart when it comes to knowing what they want. Despite constant impulses to slip away from their goals, they stick with them. Second, skilled people don't make fools' choices. Unlike others who justify their unhealthy behavior by explaining that they had no choice but to fight or take flight, the dialogue smart believe that dialogue, no matter the circumstances, is always an option. I want to pause there for a second, um, and just see if anybody wants to uh, come onto stage and and discuss this. Because you know, I'm thinking to myself. Here's what I'm thinking to myself. I'm thinking to myself. Imagine I was in that situation with my you know brother or sister or or spouse or even one of the kids, and we both are entering that hotel room and we both need to pee. And we're both kind of gunning for the door at the same time. So, what happens in that moment? Cuz I'm thinking to myself, why should I give in? Right? I always give in. Why should I let you have your way? That's the problem, right? The problem is almost this idea of cuz this crew the the point here, right, is not Avoid conflict. Because if you avoid conflict, you say, sure, why don't you go? Yeah, go for it. But the resentment builds up. The resentment builds up, which is, I don't want conflict, so I'm just going to let you have your way because you always have your way. As opposed to me fight you and say you always have your way. You're so selfish. The last three times you went first. Why don't you give me a chance? That's the fool's choice. So, how do you? I don't know the answer. I'm just telling you, like, I can, I can feel that in that situation, that, and, I know, and, and what I'm hearing in the book is you've got to have a dialogue. And as long as you have dialogue, that's good. As long as it's obviously not the wrong dialogue. We're not talking about a fight, we're talking about a dialogue. And I think one of the ways of being able to do that is to almost, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know the answer again because, I mean, we're reading the book together, is one of the ways is to say, look, I need the toilet pretty badly as well. Um, How badly do you need it? Well, I need it really badly. Well, then I think maybe you should go first. Next Next time in that situation, will you allow me to go? Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an answer. Or maybe it's to advocate for yourself and say, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I'm, I really feel like, you know, I wouldn't tell you this if, it wasn't, if I wasn't serious or I actually think I'm going to pee my pants. I'd really, really appreciate it if you could let me go. I won't be long. You know, I'll owe you. I think there are ways of handling it. The, I think the key point here is to avoid the the power struggle, right? It's to avoid the power struggle. You always get your way, you know? Why should, you know, once you're in that, and, and, and the other thing that I, you know, that I remember going to family therapy when I was young, one of our, you know, therapists basically said that we have three personas, right? Parent, teacher, and child. And often, and I'm sure you've all seen it, like particularly maybe with your siblings, and when you're, to, you know, you might be in your 40s or 50s or 60s or 30s, whatever, but when you're together with your with your brothers and sisters, you, are, you kind of become kids again. And worse is when you fight with your spouse, you become children, as opposed to, you know, and of course it doesn't help when you turn around and remind your spouse, <clears throat> you know, you're acting like, when you say you're acting like a child, that just triggers them even more. And when you say, act your age, or for God's sake, you're 47 years old, doesn't help, does it? So these are the thoughts in my mind, you know, as I read this, thinking that, um, you know, in this particular situation, yes, of course, <clears throat> the dad in this situation was saying it took you 25 minutes to basically eventually force um, a resolution. And you could have all gone to the, both of you could have gone to the toilet, you know, 15 times during each, 10 times each during that time. That's kind of not the point. And it is exactly the point. But ultimately what happened is the conversation became about something else, didn't it? So I found that to be quite um, interesting. A moment of truth. Let's look at a real life example of how losing sight of our motives can affect our ability to stay in dialogue. Greta the CEO of a mid-sized corporation is two hours into a rather in, a rather tense meeting with her top leaders. For the past six months, she has been on a personal campaign to reduce costs. Little has been accomplished to date, so Greta calls the meeting. Surely people will tell her why they haven't started cutting costs. After all, she has taken great pains to to foster candor. Greta has just opened the meeting to question when a manager haltingly rises. To his feet, fidgets, stares at the floor, and then nervously asks if he can ask a very tough question. The way the fellow, the way the fellow emphasizes the word "very," makes it sound as if he's about to accuse Greta of of uh, perpetually raiding. Of of, am um, oh, sorry. I was like, am I reading this right? Um, the way the fellow emphasizes the word very, makes it sound as if he's about to accuse Greta of perpetrating 9-11. I was like, what? The frightened manager continues, Greta, you've been asking us for six months to find ways to cut costs. I'd be lying if I said that we've given as, given you much more than a lukewarm response. If you don't mind, I'd like to tell you about one thing that's making it tough for us to take this seriously. Great. Fire away, Greta says as she smiles in response. This is exactly what she wants, to hear what the barriers are so that she can address them and let the cost-cutting begin. Well, while you've been asking us to use both sides of our paper and forego travel, you're having a second office built. Greta freezes and turns bright red. Everyone looks to see what will happen next. The manager plunges on ahead. The rumor is that the furniture alone will cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is that right? The conversation has just turned crucial. Someone has just poured a radioactive liquid into the pool of meaning. Will Greta continue to encourage honest feedback, or will she shut, da- shut the fellow down? How Greta acts during the next few moments will not, will, not, um, will not only will set people's attitudes toward the proposed cost-cutting initiative, but will also have a huge impact on what the other leaders think about her. Does she walk the talk of openness and honesty, or is she a raging hypocrite? Like so many of the senior executives who came before her, I wonder what she's going to do. What is she acting? Uh, what is she acting like? She wants. As we watch Greta, something quite subtle and yet very important takes place. Greta's jaw tightens. She leans forward and grips the left side of the rostrum hard enough that her knuckles turn white. She lifts her right hand with the finger pointing at the questioner like a loaded weapon. She hasn't said anything yet, but it is clear where Greta is heading. She has been attacked publicly, and she's preparing to defend herself. In less time than it takes her to clear her, th- her thoughts, her motive has changed from succeeding with cost-cutting to something less noble. What Greta cares about right now is not getting results, but getting revenge. She isn't worried about how the company performs. She's worried about how she appears. When under attack, our hearts can take a similarly sudden and unconscious turn. When faced with pressure and strong opinions, we often stop worrying about the goal of adding to the pool of meaning and start looking for ways to win, save face, keep the peace, or punish others. Just ask Greta. To heck with honest communication, she thinks to herself, I'll teach the moron not to attack me in public. Is that a serious question she wants to ask? She wants to say she wants to say, if we want to win bigger customers, we need a facility that shows some self-confidence. If you had an executive mindset, you'd understand this. Next question. At the sight of her pointing of finger, everyone immediately clammed up and looked at the floor. The silence was deafening for a moment as everyone waited for what came next. First Focus on what you really want. Then, Greta did something remarkable. Almost as soon as her finger rose like a loaded pistol, it dropped back to her side. Her face relaxed. At first, she looked surprised, embarrassed, and maybe even a little upset. But then, she took a deep breath and said, You know what? We need to talk about this. I'm glad you asked the question. Thank you for taking that risk. I appreciate the trust it shows in me. Wow. In a matter of seconds, she had transformed from a dangerous weapon into a curious partner. And then Greta got real. She acknowledged the apparent hypocrisy in talking about cost-cutting while spending on a new office. She admitted that she did not know what the project would cost and asked someone to leave the meeting to check the numbers. She ex- uh, explained that building the office was a response to marketing's advice to boost the company's image and improve client confidence. And while Greta would use the office, it would be primarily a hosting location for marketing. But, she added, I've not managed this project as tightly as I'm asking you to manage yours. And that's hypocritical. When she saw the figures for the office, Greta was stunned and admitted that she should have checked the cost before signing a work order. A wonderfully candid exchange followed, wherein various participants in the meeting expressed their views about, about the propriety of the project. In the end, they agreed to move ahead, but cut the cost by half or cancel the project entirely. Widespread support for cost cutting took off from that moment. As we watched this interaction, we wondered what had happened to Greta. How did she remain so composed while under fire? Specifically, How did she move so quickly from wanting to humiliate the questioner to sincerely soliciting feedback? Later that day, we asked Greta about that transformation. We wanted to know exactly what had been going on in her head, what had helped her move from embarrassment and anger to gratitude. It was easy, Greta explained. At first, I did feel attacked and I wanted to strike back. To be honest, I wanted to put that guy in his place. He was accusing me in public and he was wrong. But she continued, I've learned that when my emotions take over, the best way to get back into control is to focus on a simple question. At this point, she had our full attention. Could asking yourself a single question truly transform your emotions the way we had witnessed it happen with Greta? And if so, what question should you ask? She continued, When I feel threatened, I pause, take a breath, and ask, What do I really want? Really, we asked, and how did that help? The first answer that came up for me was, I want to humiliate this guy who is attacking me. That was my emotions talking, so I pressed again. What do I really want? And that's when the clarity came. What I really want is for 200 managers to leave here supportive of cost-cutting. Greta went on. When that commitment settled inside me, it transformed the way I saw the man in the back of the room. Whereas seconds earlier he looked like an enemy, when my motive changed, I could see he was he was the best ally I had in the room. He was the one handling me the best, handing me the best chance I had of dealing with the resistance I was facing. It was easy then to respond in the right way. Suddenly, Greta's rapid transformation from tyrant to leader made sense. When her motive changed from saving face to solving a problem, it was perfectly natural for her first words to be, "You know what." We need to talk about this. I'm glad you asked the question. Thank you for taking that risk. Greta taught us that a small mental intervention, the simple act of asking a potent question, can have a powerful effect on redirecting our hearts. It's 8.57, and so we're going to stop there, see if anyone has any questions um, or comments. I wonder, you know, um is it is it easy to be able to check yourself before you wreck yourself? Um and and I think maybe it is actually. I mean, I think if you feel the emotion, I mean, certainly I think you're aware of it. We we can all be self-aware when emotions are starting to rise, when we feel that, you know, that <coughs> that sense of rage or whatever the case may be. So the question is, can we, do we Have the ability um, to ask ourselves that question, which is like, I feel like, like I feel angry, or what the hell's going on here, and just say, what do I really want? What is the objective here? What do I really want from this? And I mean, when we put it into perspective, being able to just be able to say what we, you know, just be able to, you know, like defend ourselves or or justify ourselves or whatever. Um, I mean, if that's what we really want, then fine. But at the end of the day, when we take a step back, whether it's a spouse, a boss, etc., we're not trying to create conflict. You know, how many times do we say, like, with with a loved one, I don't want to fight with you. But then the question is, but why are we fighting then? But why do we fight then? How do you resolve? I don't want, you know, conflict. I want peace but then why are you part of conflict well it's not my fault it's your fault but well because i didn't start it i mean and, and you devolve from there and maybe that maybe that is the answer what do you really want i want peace i want harmony i want dialogue maybe the objective of dialogue is to just be able to have dialogue solve problems raise issues in a safe environment and then solve them, not take it personally. So that concludes our live read today. Um, Hanging out in Kongtown. Shout out to our growing um, members of the Collective Cafe. We'll be back uh, tomorrow, and tomorrow we'll be back to the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive. I think we can bang out this book in no time. And so we'll do another live read tomorrow, and then on Friday, kind of Friday, I'm coaching, so no session on Friday. Um, so you know, some days I'm here five days in a five days in a row, and uh, some days I'll be um, I won't I won't be in. Um, but I'll always try and give you a sense, like when you're in the room, what my schedule is like for the coming days, um, etc. And for those of you that are in Clubhouse. At some point, I'm hoping to get onboarded in the creator call for uh, Nelson Apiga's new app called Chatter and maybe move there and give that a full go because I'm just not sure and sadly that uh, Clubhouse has you know, the engagement um, and the commitment to live audio and live conversations. But uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, Slick, Tristan, um, uh, Prince, Iran, uh, Sunset, uh, thanks for all being here today. Uh, Dialab, D- D- uh, Best NFT Wins, Influencer X, Styles, Laponic. Have an amazing day, and I will see you all uh, tomorrow. Bye, everyone.
0: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.